about uh, Paul's blessing the church, but it really is uh, the underlying theme we keep seeing and coming back to is that it's God's power, it's the Holy Spirit that is leading and empowering the church. And so uh, this morning when we look at the passage just briefly, we're going to see that really what's happening is God uh, providentially is working out all the details for Paul to be where he is, saying what he's going to say, doing what he's doing. It's a lot of it is his travel itinerary. So it's kind of relating to that as we plan our trip, you know, just going through all the like, you know, flights and hotels and all that, right? Sometimes it can be a daunting task just to go plan and have fun, right? It's a lot of work. But um, we can see that even in this passage that Paul was a traveler, a world traveler, as the world was in that day. And uh, our passage talks a lot about his itinerary, which is kind of like, well, how do we apply that to ourselves? But there's this great little story stuck right in the middle of our passage about a young boy who was listening to, uh, to the Pastor Paul speak. So we're going to read that passage in just a few minutes. But as I was thinking through this idea of God's providence and how he is truly interested in our lives and how he loves us so much that, that he wants to encourage us and he wants to, to show his great heart for us. It was so evident that Paul, in this passage, it, we're reminded that he was a great encourager of the early church. Because you know on his first missionary journey, he planted churches, right? You know what he did in his other missionary journeys? He went back to those churches and he encouraged them. He built leaders. He taught them. He made disciples. He led them in the Lord's Supper and communion. We're going to see all that in today's passage. But most importantly, he encouraged them. But God was encouraging him by orchestrating events around his life. But doesn't he do that with us as well? But we don't always see it. But see, our desire should be to, to remain in tune with God, right? To kind of, as they say, like, make sure our, our heart beats for what beats, you know, what um, allows His and motivates His heart to beat, of course, His love for us and, and for His people. And so we want to remain in tune with God. And so when we do, what happens is kind of what happened to me this week. Um, I remember years ago there was a, a VBS at an old church I was at, and we had this thing that we did with the kids called God Sightings, right? And we called it God Sightings like we can see God's providence, God's working in every part of our lives each and every day with every breath we take, right? But if only we're listening and we're available for Him. So this week I went to the guitar center, the music store, and um, I went to buy some new equipment for the church. And so you never know what's going to happen, right? But you go out to just run some, some errands and to do some tasks. But if we're always ready for God to meet us and use us, what blessings there can be. So I got the equipment and I brought it back to my car in the parking lot. I put it in the car. And just as I was coming from behind the car to get into the driver's seat, another car pulled up right next to me. And so we couldn't both op- open our doors because he pulled in the other way. And so I saw him and I said, I said, no, you can come out first. And and he said, no, go ahead. you go ahead, like, you know, through his window. And, and so I said, no, 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 you can go ahead. So he said, all right. So he opened his door and came out, just trying to be nice. And we're trying to, up, you know, one-up each other, right? Yeah. So he gets out of the car, and he seems really nice. And he says, hey, what'd you get? Because he's going to the guitar center too, right? So as musicians, you always want to know, like, what kind of equipment and instruments you're playing, you know? 
And so he said, what did you get? So I said, oh, I just got an amplifier from my church. And he says, oh, he goes, I'm Pastor John. And he goes to shake my hand. And I said, hey, I'm Pastor Keith. And I said, I said, Pastor John, I said, um, uh, where's your church? And he said, oh, I pastor at a Jersey Shore Calvary Chapel. And I said, I said, hey, Pastor John, I said, do you know that last week I talked to you on the phone? Because I did. I called him because we have a mutual friend and he had called me and left a message. So I called him back. Right. I said, we talked on the phone. He goes, oh, yeah, Pastor Keith, you're at Trinity Bible Church. Yeah. So we started talking. So I, we're asking, how's that friend? You know, we're talking. It was good. And I said, what are you going in for? He just told me the equipment he was going in to get. He says, I'm going to get something, some new earbuds, because we're going to lead worship on this missions trip to Ireland. We go there like once, maybe twice a year. I said, wow, my daughter's on a missions trip to Hungary right now. And she's with a Calvary Chapel church, the one up in Oldbridge. She went with their group. And he goes, yeah, I'm with Calvary Chapel. I know that place she went to, the Bible college, and she's going to love it. And I said, you know, she always wanted to go on a missions trip to Ireland. She's been talking about that for years, and this is her first missions trip. And he was like, hey, she could do an internship with us and go to, go to Ireland. I was like, man, she would love that. So we're making this great connection, you know. And then I said, yeah, I said, you know, man, I, I said, she's going to be this world traveler. I said, my wife and I actually are just celebrating our anniversary and we're going to go to Hawaii. And he goes, I lived in Hawaii for five years. And I said, well, we're going to be in Honolulu, but we're going to spend a few days in Maui. He goes, I lived in Maui. You're going to go to this airport and this. So I told him where we're staying. He goes, yeah, there's a Calvary Chapel right down the road from where you are. I said, that's great. So he tells me the pastor's name and all this stuff. And so we're making this great connection, you know. And I said, well, Lord bless you. And he goes, yeah, you know, bless you and your church. And, and I'll talk to you soon. And so we're going to get coffee soon, you know. And it's just great. It's just like, so here's what's so cool about it, right? I know this kind of thing has happened to you before. And afterwards, you think about, like, everything that had to happen, right? So if I hadn't insisted that he got out of the car first, right, you know, then I would have gotten in the car and driven away. We never would have talked. So he finally said, okay. But if he hadn't said, hey, what'd you get? Then he would have just walked away and I would have gotten my car. And if I would have just said, oh, I just got an amplifier, we would have gone our separate ways. But I said, I got an amp for the church, you know? So it's pretty cool because you know what's happening as pastors, he's thinking, I'm going to witness to this guy. And I'm thinking, I'm going to witness to this guy, you know? It's pretty funny, right? But then if I hadn't said I got an amp for the church, and then he said, and if he didn't say, I'm a pastor, and I'm a pa-, then none of that would have happened, right? So it wasn't like, oh, we were trying so hard to like, you know, share the gospel, but it was like, we were just being nice. And I think it's just a matter of, in our regular everyday life, being available for God to use us. Because you never know how God is going to show up, right? Because again, that is the providence of of God. A few weeks ago, we touched on the topic and I talked about the difference between miracles and God's providence. Remember, we simply described the miracle as God working supernaturally, like above and beyond and outside his normal natural law that he created, right? But remember, we joked about how like you find, you finally find a parking spot at the mall. You're like, it's a miracle. 
But that's not a miracle, right? That's God, that could be God's providence or like what happened to me with the pastor. It's God's providence, right? That's not a miracle. But a miracle is when God heals somebody. We pray for healing. He heals somebody when all the doctors and medicine and the way God designed our body said that the person shouldn't be healed. But God supernaturally does something. That is a miracle. But today we're going to see both in our passage in Acts. God works a miracle, but it's also we see him working providentially. All right? And um, yeah, so that really just, that really encouraged me. But also this week I was thinking about God's providence and the way he orders everything. You know, we see in scripture, especially in the Psalms about, Psalm 19 is a great one, about how he orders the heavens and the earth and the, the, the creation cries out to him. So you know what we're all expecting to happen tomorrow afternoon, right? You've been hearing about that? Do any of you not know the big event that's going to happen tomorrow afternoon? Because if you don't, I would just say, just don't look up, okay? For a few hours. So tomorrow is going to be a total, well, not here, but it's going to be a total, in the parts of the U.S., a total solar eclipse, right? Now, it actually happens more often than we would think, and I won't go into all of the, the history and details. It's pretty interesting. You should look it up sometime, but... Um, what's really interesting and unique about this one tomorrow is that um, there's a large swath across the United States from like Oregon to South Carolina, if you looked at a map, where if you're in this certain like 80 mile region along that, that path, it is called the path of totality, where there will be like, there will be a time, I think the whole, the, the whole thing where it's completely dark is about two and a half minutes. But if you're in that path of totality, which we're not here, we're about 80 or 90%, so it's pretty close that it will be actually dark like a moonless night for about two and a half hours in the afternoon. It's like from one to four o'clock about that time when it starts and finishes. But of course, we're not supposed to look up at it because if you look at the sun, I think we all know, right? You can really do damage to your eyes. So they actually sell, right? They sell these special glasses you can get. And there's a big industry about it. Uh, You've probably seen a lot of advertisements and people talking about they're making money off of it, right? But anyway, it's an amazing event. But a, a total solar eclipse does happen maybe every uh, two or three years. But often, most often, it's not anywhere in the U.S. It's often like just over the swath is over the ocean. And so we don't really hear about it because who's going to see it unless you're out in a boat in the middle of the ocean, right? Or it's a different part of the world. And so, um, yeah, so the next time that it's actually going to happen for us across the swath of the U.S. is going to be in about seven years. The last time it happened, completely the kind of the way it's working now, a total solar eclipse was in June of 1918. Um, but in about seven years, in 2024, it's going to happen again across the U.S. And actually, New York will be in the path of totality. So we will be close enough where for about two and a half minutes in seven years, so you can start getting excited now, right? It'll be tough. But for us, tomorrow afternoon, it'll be a partial, a partial um, eclipse. But of course, we know what happens with an eclipse, right? Very simply, the moon gets between the earth and the sun, and they're lined up, right? And so sometimes there's what's called an annular eclipse, and that's when the moon is too small in the sky to cover the whole sun, so they call that the ring of fire. That's what annual, uh, annular means. It's a ring. That's when the moon covers the sun, but there's still enough of the sun on the outside. It looks real cool. All right? I'm going to talk about that in a second. There's different kinds of eclipses, and they happen more often than we think. 
But what's really interesting is that um, there is a great preacher named Charles Spurgeon. Many of you have heard of him. And he was a great, great preacher in England in the mid-1800s. He is actually known by many Christians as the Prince of Preachers. Very prolific. You go online and and, uh, you can find his sermons, his sermon archive. I have an app. It's called Morning and Evening. It's a devotion where it's just got a devotion by him. And what I love about him, of course, is just his insights into applying uh, the truth of Scripture to our lives. But it's the way that he writes. So what I'm going to do is something a little different this morning when we look at Acts 20, 1 to 16. I'm going to read it briefly and give you just a brief summary. But then we're going to look at its events. Okay, follow me here. In light of a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached in the mid-1800s, the day before a solar eclipse. So he talks all about the importance of the eclipse and God's providential working, not only in his creation, but in our lives as well. So I'm going to share um, select passages from his sermon. All right. Um, And so it'll be up on the screen. So as I read it, you can read along. First, I'm going to read the passage of Acts. But then as I read through parts of his sermon, I I just hope and pray that you appreciate it as much as I do. His writing style, of course, it's sort of that old English, but it's such beautiful prose. But what you're going to, I think, very clearly and plainly see is this idea that, yeah, tomorrow there's this major event. And it's been talked about a lot, this eclipse. But we can learn so much from it as followers of Jesus Christ. and What it teaches us about God's providence. So both the passage today and then this, uh, this sermon preached um, you know, 150 years ago before an eclipse, just like today, will kind of shed some light, no pun intended, on, um, on God's providence in our life. Okay. So first, let's do this. Let, uh, let's read the passage from Acts. It is Acts 20, 1 to 16. All right? And this is towards the end of Paul's third missionary journey. Again, he was going back around to the churches he planted to encourage the saints. And it says this. After the uproar ceased, remember last week there was that riot? So after the riot ceased... Paul said for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell, he departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So he changed his plans. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, these all went ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. You see, he's kind of... It's all about his travel itinerary, okay? He was moving forward, wanting to preach the gospel, wanting to encourage the churches. There was a plot against him, and so it says he decided, look at that, to go a different way, to avoid that. And then look at verse 7. 
So Troas now, it says they spent a week there in Troas. So all of his men, these disciples that were traveling with him, they went ahead of him, right? And they all um, gathered together again at Troas. They met up. So on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And so he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in that upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, he sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone back up, and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and then departed. And so they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Isos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. So when he met us at Asos, we took him on board, and we went, we went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that we might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So what's happening here is we have Paul's travel itinerary. He is trying to get to Jerusalem. Okay, we see that? And so there was a plot against him and the way he was going to go. So he decided, right, God's providence, he decided to go a different way and avoided that plot. And then we see in the last few verses, it talks about all these places that they went, where they continued on, okay? So that's sort of the bookends of this passage. So we get that. But what happens right in the middle is we meet this young man named Eutychus. And so he's listening to this sermon by Paul. And it says, Paul, they met in this upper room. It was dark, so they had a lot of lamps. So it was the end of the day. Sunday was normally a work day then, the first day of the week. They met as a church the first day of the week. It's really the first account in Scripture about the church meeting on a Sunday, right? We meet on Sundays now. And so they're in this upper room, and Paul is about to leave, so he wants to teach them. And he wants to give them a really good sermon, so he continues to preach for hours well into the night. And then we're going to get to what happens to Eutychus. But after that happens, he comes back up. They have the Lord's Supper, the communion. And then he keeps preaching till daybreak. Really interesting. But Eutychus was probably a young man. It says a young man, which means in in the Greek there, it probably indicates he was young, maybe 12, 13, maybe 18. So a young man, like a teenager. Teenagers never fall asleep, right? No. And so... But listen, I don't know if you can really blame him because Paul's preaching on and on for hours, right? And I'm reading this saying, like, how could that be? Nobody ever falls asleep during a sermon. Like, how could that be, right? So anyway, yeah. Bruce's like, yeah. So, so he's a young man, but listen, he was probably working hard all day. Some scholars even say maybe he was a slave, right? Because Sunday was a work day. So they were up all night listening the room was probably warm. There was all these oil lamps, 
which were taking a lot of oxygen out of the room. So he's sitting by the window trying to get a breeze. And he falls asleep and he's sitting in the window. And once he falls asleep, fast asleep, a deep sleep, he falls out and then he dies. Isn't that great? Okay, let's pray. No, it's just like he falls out and he he falls. But then it doesn't say much other than Paul goes down. He grabs him. He kind of lays on him, wraps his arms around him, and he yells up to them, he's okay. Life's in him. Nothing else is said other than he goes up, he serves communion, and he preaches like another six hours. It's a true miracle because it says he was dead. Paul raised him back to life. That's not God's providence. See, he was dead. So supernaturally, God raised him to life through his apostle Paul. That was actually one of the true signs of an apostle, that ability. Not all of them did, but we know there's a few of the uh, instances of apostles raising, right? God's uh, people raising somebody back to life. Paul did that just like we see Elijah and Elisha did in First and Second Kings. There's instances where they fell on top of somebody and raised them back to life. So he did it, right, just like he, of course, he knew the Old Testament, just like Elijah and Elisha did. Back, uh, we can read that in First and Second Kings. And so he's following along the tradition because he knows it's the same God, the same power, right? So one of the great things we see is we see all these elements of a true healthy church. In this passage, one of them is, and probably the most important, is that God is at work. It is God's power that empowers the church. Isn't that the underlying theme of Acts? It's the Holy Spirit's power that is giving them the ability to do these things and to lead the church, right? And to bring authenticity to the Word of God and to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's a big part of what happened. But other elements of of a healthy church, right? He preached the Word of God. We'll get back to that later. And he was making disciples. There was all these guys gathered with him on this trip. They were actually there with money in their pockets from the churches they represented. So they were taking, listen, a collection to Jerusalem to help that church. Churches gather together. They help their own and they help uh, fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, don't we? He was on mission. He was traveling. Churches like ours, we support missionaries, local and abroad, all around the world. He was traveling, always on mission. He led in the Lord's Supper, one of the two sacraments that Jesus gives the church, baptize and and uh, observe in remembrance of him, right? So there's all these great elements of a healthy church. He's discipling, making disciples with these guys. He's training up leaders. These guys are all leaders in the churches that he planted. See how it's all working together? These are great, healthy elements, elements of a healthy church. And we don't want to miss that fact because we want to make sure at Trinity that we are following that model. They met on a Sunday to worship, so we do so. They broke the Lord's bread when they gathered together. We do that as well. They gave, they supported, they gave money. They encouraged each other. Paul continued to encourage. They they preached the Word of God. They worked with other believers. They went on mission and supported missionaries. They were traveling all around preaching the Word of God. Most importantly, we see in the miracle that Paul does with Eutychus, the young man. He worked a miracle. It was God's power. God was empowering the church. So a great model of Christian worship in this passage. 
But I think another element that is easily missed is that God used Paul, listen, to raise that young man to life. What a great sermon illustration for Paul, who was undoubtedly preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because didn't we see that all throughout the previous chapters of Acts? They went around preaching what? The resurrection. You heard about Jesus, yes, but did you know that he came back to life? He said that he would and he did. They were preaching the resurrection. It's almost as if God said, Paul, you need a good sermon illustration. Eutychus falls out the window dead. Raises him to life and Paul comes back up and leads the Lord's Supper and says, until he comes again, because Jesus came back to life, Jesus gives us new life, right? Not that I want that to happen here. So just be careful if you're sitting by a window, whatever. Not that you would fall asleep at all. Anyway, so here's where I'd like to park for just the next few minutes. Um, We're going to put up passages from this great sermon I mentioned from Charles Spurgeon. And so I'm going to read it and then pause um, every few slides. I'm just going to pause. We're going to talk about this idea of God's providence in our life. Because it was so clear, listen, that God was working in Paul's life, even through his travel itinerary, where he was leading him to these um, strategic, look, strategic places even directing Paul, changing Paul's mind to go in a different direction, being discerning, hearing and knowing there's going to be this plot, so he goes a different way. See, that's God's providence in his life, right? But look at this in light of this event tomorrow, this total solar eclipse. Listen to these great words of the preacher Charles Spurgeon. Remember, this was preached... It was uh, 1858, March 14th, 1858, the Sunday before a solar eclipse the next day. It was an annular eclipse that was coming up, which means one of those ring of fire ones, right? They knew a lot back then, so he's preaching about it. So keep that in mind when, uh, when we read this, okay? You can put up the first slide. He says, before even this, he gives his verse for this whole passage, Isaiah 45, God says, I form the light and I create the darkness. That's God saying that. God's in charge of the light and the darkness in his providence. So he says in his his sermon, we are all, again, Old English, we are all expecting tomorrow to witness one of the greatest sights in the universe, the annular eclipse of the sun. It is possible that many of us shall have gone the way of all flesh before such a sight shall again be seen in this country. And we are therefore looking for it with some degree of expectation. It is probable that hundreds and thousands of the human race will be attracted by it to study for a few hours at least the science of astronomy. Certain it is that our astronomers are making the most capital they possibly can of it by endeavoring to thrust it in every way under our notice. Sound familiar? (laughs) This is 150 years ago he preached that. In order to induce us to make the sun, the moon, and the stars a little more the object of our attention than they have hitherto. Surely I need offer no apology whatever if religion comes forward today and asks that attention should be drawn to her, even by the eclipse itself. Without a doubt, if there be sermons in stones, there must be a great sermon in the sun. 
If there be books in the running brooks, no doubt, there is many a huge volume to be found in a sun-suffering eclipse. Look at the next thing he says. All things teach us if we have but a mind to learn. There is nothing which we can see or hear or feel which may not be the channels of great instruction to us. Let us see whether this may not lead us this morning into a train of thought which may, under God's blessing, be something far better to us than just seeing of an eclipse. See what he's doing there? There's about to be an eclipse, and he's saying we can learn something from this, right? Much more than just how astronomy works. Let's look underneath. Who is it that controls the movement of the sun and the stars and the moon, right? Who is it that's in charge of that? So God in His providence, listen, He works within the natural laws that He created. He's going to go on to say, you'll see in a second, that of course there's going to be an eclipse of all different kinds. Why? Because God set those things in motion. It's part of His natural creation and natural law. So it shouldn't surprise us. We can enjoy it and be in awe of not just, wow, look what's happening, but look at the God behind it. That's often what we miss. And that's kind of where he's going with his message is that we often, we see this all throughout the Old Testament, we worship the creation and not the creator, right? We do it in many ways in our lives. Look at the next part here. Again, these are, this is not the full sermon, uh, but this is just sections of it, part two. He says, eclipses are part of God's plan. Now, beloved, all that understand anything of God's works, they know very well that eclipses are as much a part of nature's law as the regular sunshine. An eclipse is no deviation from God's plan, but that it is a necessary consequence of the natural motion of the moon and the earth around the sun and each other, that there should at some stated periods be eclipses. So when we see the eclipse tomorrow... We shall not look upon it as a miracle or anything out of the ordinary course of God's providence. See that? But we shall say it was a a necessity involved in the very plan whereby God governs the earth. Now, beloved, I have only said these things to draw your attention to other eclipses. There are certain eclipses which happen in God's providence as well as in God's grace. As in nature, an eclipse is part of God's plan and is, in fact, involved in it. So we believe that in providence, the eclipse shall sometimes overshadow the earth. That's what happens. It's the shadow, right, that makes it dark. I mean the adversities, now he's applying it to our lives, the adversities, the wars, the famines, which sometimes fall on the human race, are but a part of God's divine plan of governing the earth and have some beneficial object and they're falling upon us. Now we can see how he's unfolding it. Naturally speaking, right, what happens in an eclipse? The moon comes directly between the sun and the earth, so there's a shadow cast. So he's saying sometimes in our lives, we experience an eclipse. Now this natural eclipse lasts a few hours, two and a half minutes in its most intense. But we know oftentimes... We go through eclipses in our lives, don't we? Where there seems to be a shadow over our lives, a cloud hanging over us. 
Sometimes we feel it lasts days, weeks, even years. And so Pastor Spurgeon goes on to say that we recognize that just like the solar eclipse is part of God's plan, listen, and nothing out of the ordinary, so we should understand that trials and tribulations, wars and famines, depression, anxiety, loss of loved ones, breakup of relationships, whatever it is, God can use those things as a natural part of the outworking of our lives to draw our attention to Him. Just like tomorrow, the great solar eclipse will draw our attention to the sun and the moon. Let us draw our attention as believers past that to the God who created them. Part three. Now, beloved, you are in the eclipse some of you today. I hear you crying, Oh, that it were with me as in months past when the candle of the Lord shone about me. He's just saying, sometimes we say, I wish it was like it used to be, much better in the old days, right? Back in the day. I looked for light, but lo, darkness came. For I looked for peace, but behold, there was trouble. I said in my soul, My mountain standeth firm. I shall never be moved, Lord. Thou didst hide thy face, and I am troubled. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. All thy waves and thy billows have gone over me. Is this a part of God's plan with me? Can this be the way in which God would bring me to heaven? Yes, it is even so. The eclipse of your faith, the darkness of your minds, the fainting of your hopes, all these things are but the parts of God's plan for making you ripe for the great inheritance into which you shall soon enter. These trials are but waves that wash you onto the rocks. They are but winds that waft your ship the more swiftly towards that desired haven. Oh, think not, Christian, that your sorrows are out of God's plan. They are necessary parts of it. As much as He will bring many heirs of God unto glory, it is necessary that through much tribulation He should bring them thither. Thither. When's the last time you said that word? Right? Never, thank you. See, he's really getting to the heart of it. Our trials and tribulations, those shadows that are cast over our lives from time to time, whatever that looks like in your life, maybe you're feeling like that this morning. Recognize that it's all part of God's plan. He's allowing it or ordained it. In either case, God is part of it because it's in His providence. What does that mean simply? It means He cares about the details of our lives. He cares about where we go to college. He cares about where we work. He cares about who we marry or don't marry. He cares about all of these things in our lives. Even those littlest things that you think are beyond God's you know, um, desire to deal with. No. I tell you, we can pray to God for the littlest things because He knows us that intimately and wants to love us so much more. Look at part 4. Now he's really getting to the crux of it. He says, Tomorrow, Christians, if you will just remember what I am about to say, you will learn a useful lesson. What is that which will hide the sun from us tomorrow? It is the ungrateful moon. She has borrowed... I love the, the poetry here. 
She has borrowed all her light from the sun month after month, right? The moon doesn't cast its own light. It's, it, it borrows it month after month from the sun. She would be a black blot if the sun did not shine upon her. And now see all the return she makes is. She goes impudently before his face and prevents his light from shining upon us. Like how dare the moon do this? Do you know anything at all like that in your own history? Have you not a great many comforts which you enjoy upon earth that are just like the moon? They borrow their light from the sun. They would be no comforts to you unless God shone in them and they reflected back the light from His countenance. What is your husband or your wife? What are your children, your friends, your house, your home? What are all these but moons that borrow their light from the sun? Oh, how ungrateful it is when we let our comforts get before our God. Can I say that again? How ungrateful it is when we let our comforts get before our God. No wonder that we get an eclipse when we put these things that God gave to be our comforts into God's own throne and make them our idols. If he was here today, you would say, preach it, brother. Preach it, right? Oh, if our children take half our hearts, if our friends take away our souls from Jesus, if like it was with Solomon, the wife leads the heart astray, if our goods, our house, our lands become the object of our life, if we set our affections upon them instead of setting them upon the things above, no wonder that there is an eclipse. O oh, ungrateful heart that allow these moons of comfort to hide the sun. Man, he's really getting at the heart of it, isn't he? Just like the moon doesn't give off its own light. It's only reflection of the sun. Our lives are to be the reflection of the light of the sun, right? For we are no longer in darkness, but in light, Scripture says. And so we are not to worship the creation or the comforts God has given us, but worship the Creator who gave them. So important. And finally, the last section from his great sermon. He says, and let the Christian recollect another sermon. He kind of ends this way. Let him take his child out, meaning like tomorrow, take your child out. When he takes him outside the door and he sees the sun begin to grow dark and all things fade away, a strange color coming over the landscape, a child will begin to cry and say, Father, the sun is going out. It is dying. We shall never see any light again. And as gradually as the black moon creeps over the sun's broad surface, and there remains only a solitary streak of light, the tears run down the child's eyes as he says, the sun is nearly quenched. God has blown it out. It will never shine upon us again. We shall have to live in darkness. And he would begin to weep for sorrow of heart. You would touch your child on the head and say, no, my little boy, the sun has not gone out. It is only the moon passing across its face. It will shine bright enough presently. And your boy would soon believe you. And as he saw the light returning, he would feel thankful and would believe that you had said that the sun was always the same. Now, will you be like a child tomorrow? 
when you get into trouble, will you be saying, God has changed? Then let God's word speak to you as unto children. And let it say, no, he has not changed. With him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. When you see the eclipse tomorrow, don't fear that darkness will always reign in your life, that there will always be a shadow, for it's all momentary, isn't it? And after a short while, in God's timing and in His will, the moon will remove itself from the beautiful face of the sun. And once again, you'll feel the warmth of the light of the sun in your life. See, it says, and Paul reminds us in his word, 2 Corinthians, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He wrote those words during the period that we're reading about in Acts. As he's making those travels heading to Jerusalem, he writes the letters to Corinthians. And he says those words, having gone through the riot and all the stuff we've seen, the being stoned and also God leading him astray from further trouble. He says all of these afflictions are momentary. Just like the eclipse, right? It lasts a few hours. Just momentary. Just the intensity. Just a couple of minutes. Soon, the light shines again. Our troubles are like that too. They can often start and we see it coming. There's a little bit of a shadow. There's a time of intensity of our trials and tribulations. But take heart, brothers and sisters, that soon sunlight will return. And of course, the Lord Jesus says to us in John 16, I have said these things to you, Jesus says to his disciples, that in me you may have peace. For in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, the Apostle Paul brought encouragement to all those churches. He did it in many different ways, through giving, through fellowship, the Lord's Supper. But most importantly, what did he do that night? For hours on end, he encouraged believers by sharing with them the very truth of the Word of God himself. He taught them what Jesus did and said. He brought them the gospel message. He taught them how the Old Testament uh, spoke of His coming. How He defeated death and rose from the dead. He even had the perfect sermon illustration. And He gave them hope by assuring them that Jesus would one day return for them. He preached the truth of Christ. It is that truth that sets us free. So as Spurgeon says, you may be experiencing an eclipse in your life right now. But there's no better way to be encouraged or for me to encourage you this morning than to remind you to open the Word of God, let its power transform you to renew your mind and refresh your soul. See, they listened for hours to Paul teach the things of Christ. It says there were many lamps needed for that room. So why don't we let the truth of God's Word always be a lamp to our feet and a light for our path? Finally, Paul says in his great letter to the churches in Ephesus, many of which he was visiting, he says, for at one time you were in darkness, but now 
you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your awesome word. We thank you for even blessing us with the awesome uh, words of Charles Spurgeon. We thank you for the way that he has blessed the church throughout the years. God, help us to take to heart what he points out to be so true. That as we may uh, gaze in awe at an event in the heavenlies tomorrow, may we see right through it to the power that is behind it. God, help us to apply that to our lives, that you are working providentially in each and every one of us, each and every moment of the day, and that it is not of our own strength that we live and breathe or work out your will or share the gospel or live out our faith, but it is through your power and your strength alone by the Holy Spirit within us. God, help us to remember that and to take heart and to take courage that no matter what kind of eclipse we may be experiencing in our lives, you no longer call us to darkness but to light, that Jesus has overcome the world and he is the light of the world. We thank you for him. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.